You're listening to The Riverwalk, the preaching ministry of Beth River Baptist Church in Winsboro, Louisiana. Today, the hate language series continues, and we're talking about the hate language, the opposite of acts of service. The opposite of that is a lack of service. We should always be ready to get to work and be the body of Christ. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy. If you have a Bible this morning, we're going to look at a few scriptures, but the main one, everything I'm going to say today is based on one verse, one verse in particular, and that is in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. So if you could find that verse in your Bible, I'd love you to be able to see that, to know that I'm not saying these things. It comes right from the Holy Bible and God Himself. If you have been coming here, this is number four of five sermons that I put together, and it's based on the opposite of Dr. Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages. In the mid-1990s, Dr. Chapman wrote a book, and it was called The Five Love Languages. It was made to strengthen marriages. He argued, and I very much believe, that every individual receives and gives love differently. Well, I've been having it on my heart for a long time, and I thought, well, if everybody gives and receives love differently, wouldn't the opposite be true? Wouldn't we maybe accidentally communicate something other than love to somebody else? So after praying about that, I decided to share what was on my heart. You could go back and listen to the podcast from four weeks ago, but the first one we talked about, the first love language in his book was words of affirmation. For the person that shows love and receives love through words... I argued that the opposite of that would have to be words of defamation. And we looked at all kinds of examples in the Bible where we're told as Christians to watch what we say, to how we speak, how our tongue is so powerful it can hurt people. The next one we talked about was the love language of quality time. And we said the opposite of that must be neglect. We neglect others, sometimes unintentionally. Last week... Last week, we talked about receiving gifts. Dr. Chapman said that was a love language for some. Giving and receiving gifts. God appreciates our gifts, and so do others. And the opposite of that would be holding back. And today, we've made it to number four of five. The fourth love language that Dr. Chapman mentions in his book is acts of service. Doing things for those we love. Today we're going to look at the scripture in Luke later of what this whole thing is based upon about loving our neighbor as ourselves, Not about our spouse, but about our neighbor. Some people, many people, like I consider myself ironically, even though I'm a preacher, are not the best with words. We're not the best gift givers, and some people show love best through acts of service. And the Bible, and Jesus in particular, had a lot to say about acting out our faith and love for others. About walking the walk instead of talking the talk. So here's the question this morning. If acts of service is the love language, what's the hate language associated with it? In my mind, the first thing I thought of, it would have to be lack of service. So the question that I want to answer this morning, what is the service required? What is the service asked of, and what is the service expected of me as a Christian? Not as a man, not as a spouse, not as a father, not as a son, but as a Christian. What does God want from His Christians? What kind of service is He expecting from His his children? And I think Romans chapter 12, verse 1, just lays it out perfectly. The Apostle Paul wrote, 
He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, talking to Christians, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's your reasonable service. This is your service. This is what God asks of you. Paul begs these people. I'm begging you, brethren. I'm, bread, I'm begging you by the mercies of God that from now on that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Paul said it's reasonable. This is reasonable. But let me tell you, it sounds easy, but this is asking a whole lot. Paul was was a holy man. Paul was well educated in the scriptures and he knew what a sacrifice was. Sacrifice is literally dying. Sacrifice is taking your best and laying it on an altar and giving it to God. Sacrifice is literally killing all of your wants, all of your desires, putting yourself last and putting Christ first. That's what sacrifice is. Being a Christian being a Christian, just like baptism symbolizes, being a Christian is literally about dying. It's about putting our old life down and picking up a new life and following Jesus. Every day, every day, if I want to be the man God calls me to be, I've got to put some things on the altar. I've got to give it to God. And we're going to talk about some specific things that we need to give to God as an act of love that Paul says is our reasonable service. I'm going to read one last scripture from this chapter if you want to hold it there till the end. But right now, I want to do like we've done in the past. I want to look at Old Testament examples, and I want to look at New Testament examples. I want to look at people who put themselves on that altar. And then I want to look at an example of those who didn't. So I've been praying, I've been thinking, and... There are so many examples of this. If you go look in Hebrews chapter 11, it's the faith chapter, and literally every one of them did the exact same thing that Paul said to do, to present yourselves a living sacrifice. But this morning, I just want to look at a few Old Testament examples, the first being Esther. It's in Esther chapter 4, verse 14. Esther became queen. Esther is a Jewish queen. Esther finds out that her husband, the king, is going to wipe out all of her countrymen. Now, I want you to think about Esther. Esther is living a good life. Esther is in the palace. Esther, Esther has a choice. Does she be quiet or does she put her life at risk to save her people? And you read the story. It's Esther chapter 4 verse 4 is the turning point. Her uncle Mordecai is the one who, who guides her and tells her about the plan. And in Esther chapter 4, verse 14, Mordecai tells her, If you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. It's decision time for Esther right here. She can either be quiet or she can speak up. She can either take the safe route or she can take the dangerous route. She can choose to present her body a living sacrifice or she can choose to go her way, to take the easy way. Although dangerous, it's a choice she has. And in Esther chapter 4 verse 15, you see what she decides to do. It says, Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan, and fast for me, neither eat nor drink three days, night or day, my maids and I will do likewise, and so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. She made the decision. She said, you know what? 
I know this God. I know the holy God. And I know what he's done for me. And I know what he wants me to do. I know that he loves his people. And I just think that the God I love, I love him so much that I am literally willing to put myself on an altar and give my life for him. If you know the rest of the story, things just totally get reversed. And Esther goes on living. And God honors her for making for being willing to make that sacrifice. That's one example. One example of a lady in the Old Testament. Another example that I'd like you to see this morning, you probably already know the story, but it's in Daniel chapter 3. I'm trying to go fast because I could go on and on and on about this, but I want you to see this is not a new idea. In Daniel chapter 3, we read about three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The king, once again, they're kind of like Esther. They're living a pretty good life. They're in the palace. Things are good. They're young men. They've got a long future in front of them. Nebuchadnezzar makes a golden image, and he says, when y'all hear this music, everybody is to bow down and worship. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said, no way, king. No way, I'm not doing it. Because I know that God has called me to be, that, God, that my God is God. Well, they refuse. King Nebuchadnezzar, he obviously liked Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Even though he was angry with them, he decided to give them another chance. The penalty for not bowing down and worshiping this, this idol was death, a gruesome death, a fiery death in the fiery furnace. It's in Daniel chapter 3, verse 13. It says, The Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? They've got a question. They've got to think about it. Just like Esther had to think about it. Just like you've got to think about it this morning. What am I going to do? Am I going to take the easy way or am I going to take the hard way? What is my reasonable service? Am I going to have an active service or am I going to have a lack of service? And I don't know how much time passed between verses 15 and verse 16. But we see the answer. They said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O Cain. But if not, if not, let it be known to you, O King, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Perfect picture. They did not know the outcome. They didn't know if they would survive. They didn't know if they would die. But they said, you know what? I love my Lord God so much. And I know he loves me so much that I'm willing to lay my life down as a living sacrifice. That's two examples of people who put Romans 12 verse 1 into practice thousands of years before it was even written. So think about that this week. Think about that when you feel led to stand up for Jesus or to sit down for Jesus. And now I want to look at what Jesus had to say about acts and lack of service. And it's found in Luke chapter 10, and it starts in verse 27. Literally, this whole series has been made on this very question, on who is my neighbor? 
Who is my neighbor? Who am I supposed to serve? Who am I supposed to love? How am I supposed to love them? What am I supposed to say to them? And Jesus gives a parable. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. It says in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Stop there for a minute. If you do those things, if you love them, if you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, it starts with you. If it's, that is you, then listen, a lack of service isn't going to be a problem for you. And if you love your neighbor as yourself, same thing. Same thing. You're going to be more than willing to lay yourself on the altar, just like Esther, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But then the lawyer asked a question in verse 29, a very good question. It says, but he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Just who is my neighbor? Who am I supposed to love as myself? Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said, Go and do likewise. I want you to notice some things about this story. Jesus identifies a lot of people in this story. But who's the person that he didn't identify? I mean, really, the person he didn't identify was the question the lawyer asked. Who's my neighbor? He identifies a Levite. He identifies a priest. He identifies a Samaritan. But the person who was robbed, the person who was half dead, the person who needed an act of service was unidentified. Why do you think Jesus would do that? Why do you think Jesus would leave that blank? See, when you read the Bible, you need to ask some hard questions. You need to put yourself in the story. Jesus was very intentional about identifying and not identifying these men. The Levite and the priest, they were not ordinary men. These were holy men. These were men that knew all about Esther, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These were men that knew about Moses. These were men that, that knew about Abraham and Isaac. These were men that knew about how they were supposed to love their neighbor as their self. The Samaritan, that was no accident that Jesus mentioned him either. Because the Jews and the Samaritans, they butted heads like crazy. So much so that some suggest that that's the reason that the lawyer didn't even say the Samaritan. 
as the response in verse, 30, verse 37. So if Jesus was so intentional about mentioning these men, there is a very real reason that Jesus was unintentional about not mentioning the stranger. And here's the reason. The man could have been rich. The man could have been poor. The man could have been black. He could have been white. He could have been Jew. He could have been Gentile. He could have been young. He could have been old. The point of the story is we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves, And our neighbor is anyone and everyone. Our neighbor is the one that thinks like you politically. Our neighbor is the one that thinks polar opposite from you. Our neighbor is the Baptist. Our neighbor is the Pentecost. Our neighbor is the Mormon. Our neighbor is the Jehovah's Witness. Our neighbor is the Democrat. Our neighbor is the Republican. And on and on it goes. There is a reason that Jesus did not mention this man. So let's take, let's take these examples. There's three examples. There's Esther, there's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and there's the priest and the Levite. What did they sacrifice? What did they do? What did they not do that we should do? When we wake up in the morning and we present our bodies a living sacrifice, what are we to do? If we're going to love our neighbor as ourselves, if we're going to love that stranger, if we're going to love God, what do we have to sacrifice? I see four things this morning that the Samaritan did that nobody else did in, the, in this parable anyway. First, if you want to love your neighbor as yourself, if you want to present yourself a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service, you've got to sacrifice your pride. It's something we all deal with. The Levite dealt with it. The priest dealt with it. Everybody deals with it. Queen Esther dealt with it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego dealt with it. If you want to provide an act of service and to love your neighbor as yourself, you've got to put your pride on the altar. You've got to kill your pride. You've got to get over that idea that somehow your life is more valuable than somebody else's life. You've got to get over the idea that somehow your thoughts, your ideas, even your beliefs override the command to love your neighbor as yourself. I just want to tell you this morning, that goes in your marriage, that goes in your relationship with your children, it goes in the relationship with your church. When we met together, we need to realize that, hey, maybe my idea isn't the best idea. We need to go for what God wants and not for what I want. And to do that, you have got to put your pride on the altar of sacrifice. The Levite and the priest, they did not do that. They thought that somehow their life was more important than the stranger's life. More than that, you know what the most valuable asset we have? I don't think it's money. I think it's time. If you want to love your neighbor as yourself, one thing that you need to learn to sacrifice is your time. Like I said, probably more valuable than your money, you've got to give God your time. You've got to place it on the altar every single day. And you've got to realize that, Lord, I'm not on my clock. I'm on your clock. Lord, I don't know if I'll make it through another week. So listen, this is what I have. If I've got nothing else to give you, I've got my time. So if you put a stranger in the way that I can love, I'll love him or her. Give God your time. That's a big sacrifice to make. It sounds easy, but it takes time. It takes time to come to church. It takes time to read your Bible. It takes time to pray with somebody. It takes time to evangelize. It just takes time. And if you want to love your neighbor, if you want to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind, get ready to sacrifice your time because God requires it. It's your reasonable service. Number three, and this is a big one, your prejudices. Your prejudices. 
Let me share with you this morning. I've seen so many things on the internet and so many ideas. I've, I've seen people suggest, well, you're not born prejudiced. You're not born racist. You're raised that way. And I might surprise you this morning, but I don't really believe that. I really don't. I think that we're all born prejudiced. I do. I think we're born and it's our natural desire to be with people that are like us. Whether it's a race, whether it's a people group, whether it's a political party, we absolutely tend to care more about our own. That's just part of being a human being. I want to be with people like me. If I'm at a deer camp, the natural response is to be around other Christians, to be around other people that think like me, that talk like me. And if I was going down the road and I saw two people, if I saw one person like me and another person like me, my instinct is to be to help the person that's like me. But the Levite and the priest, they really messed up because they didn't want to sacrifice their prejudices. The Samaritan did. If you truly want to love your neighbor as yourself, you've got to lay that down. You've got to lay your prejudices down. Now, it doesn't mean that your prejudices is like what we see on the news. Black people can be prejudiced, white people can be prejudiced, same with poor, same with young, same with old. It's part of being a human being, and if you want to love your neighbor as yourself, you've got to lay that down. You've got to realize that just like I just pointed out to you, there is a reason that God did not mention that stranger. Because we're to love everybody and anybody. And here's the biggest one. You've got to be willing to sacrifice your wants. I think of Esther, and I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I think about Jesus. You know, giving God your service, it may cost you. And it may cost you dearly. I don't want you to think for one second that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't want to live a long life. Same with Queen Esther. I mean, they want, they, I'm sure they wanted to live a long, happy life healthy life, but they were willing to lay it aside to serve the Lord. Jesus, in the garden, before he sacrificed his very life, what did he pray? Lord, if there's another way, do it. But if not, not my will, but yours. I just want to tell you this morning, we, we really suffer with that as Americans. I heard one preacher say, we want the Burger King religion. We want it my way. But listen, your reasonable sacrifice is to lay it on the altar. You may want to have Sundays free, but your reasonable sacrifice is to give God your time at least once a week. I mean, my goodness, isn't he worth that? You may want to keep your faith secret. Listen, you may want that, but listen, Jesus died pretty publicly for you on an old rugged cross. Isn't he worth being baptized for and sharing, sharing it with the world? You may want to keep living like you're living. Listen, I'll give, my, I'll give my life to Jesus. I'll give Him my heart. I'll accept heaven. But I'm going to keep doing this habit. I'm going to keep living this lifestyle. And that might be what you want. But the Bible says, present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. You've got to be willing to sacrifice your wants. If you want to love God like it says we're supposed to love God, you've got to lay it on the altar. You've got to give it to Him. If you'll be willing to do those things, listen, a lack of service will never be a problem. You'll always be ready, willing to serve. That's Old Testament examples. That's New Testament examples. But I want to bring it into today. You know, 
I thought about it this week. If everybody has a love language, and I believe they do, and I believe that I've been here long enough to know some of your love languages, what if a church had a love language? And I thought about that. Out of all these we've read, I really think Beth River Baptist Church, I think this is our love language. Because we do really good at doing acts of service. We do. We, we do. When we see a need, we get to work and we meet it. I've seen it happen countless times. But I want to bring it into today. Now, this is a toe stomper. It, it kept me up at night when I thought about this this week. It's been a few years ago, but y'all remember this day. It was on August 5th. And I remember getting a text message from Miss Mary. The text message was really vague. It said, Adam, house on fire. It didn't even say Adams. It didn't say how bad it was. I just remember it was hot that day. I remember I was tired. I think I had been at work. And my first thought was, yeah, you know, probably some toaster fire or something. But I said, you know what? I better go look and just see. I got up. I didn't even get to Sardis Church before I saw big black smoke. And I said, whoa, this is bad. This is bad. New pastor, but what do I do? I don't have a lot of money to give. I can pray. How do I comfort this family? I have no idea what to do. But I didn't have to do anything. It was just the natural response of this church to get to work. We literally, in a hundred degree heat, we presented our body as a living sacrifice, not even thinking about ourselves at all. We put our wants and our desires last. The church, and not just Beth River Baptist Church, by the way, instantly got to work. Just like it was, didn't even think about it. Before sunset, a homeless family literally had clothes, they had a bed, they had TV, they had air conditioning, everything was provided. That's the way it's supposed to work. Now let me ask you something. Can you just imagine if nothing was done? What if we had a lack of service? What if we just said, well, good luck. We'll take up a love offering in a few weeks. Now I know Adam and Mandy, I know them pretty well. And I don't think, I think they would have kept coming to church. They're, they're good folks. But I don't imagine they would have felt very loved that day. I don't imagine they would have felt very loved if we just kind of turned our head and went on about our business. If the Christians just watched and waited. That's a picture of what it looks like for a church to do an active service. And I felt good. I've never been so proud to be the pastor of Beth River Baptist Church. But now here's the question. Here's the question that, that, that troubles me, that bothers me, and not just about the church, but about myself. What if, what if it would have been a different family? What if it was an African-American family? What if it was a family of Democrats? What if it was a same-sex couple? What if it was a family of atheists? What if it was a family of Muslims? You see what I'm getting at? It, it's so easy to sacrifice for those we love and, and those we relate with. But it is a different story when it comes to the Samaritans in our life today. And look, I'm not suggesting that we agree with all these people. I'm not suggesting that we excuse sin. But I'm saying this morning that we should be very, very careful that we treat everybody the same. Because let me just remind you, we are the body of Christ. And Jesus sacrificed his life in an act of service for all of these people. 
He did it for the folks. He did it for the Republicans, and he did it for the Democrats. He did it for the Muslims. He did it for everybody. And listen, people come to Christ when they see Christ. So the real question this morning is, are people seeing Jesus or are they seeing a church? That's the real question. That's the hate language this morning. When people are looking at the church, are they seeing a church loving a church? Or are they seeing Jesus loving the sinner? They're both, they're both good, but what we're supposed to do, we're supposed to be Jesus loving the sinner. I said this morning that I was going to close right where we began. And there's a reason that Paul started that verse in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Let me find it again. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He started it. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. If you don't do that, if you don't do that, you might as well just stop everything because you can't do anything more. You've got to get past that point. You've got to give it all to the Lord. But as he goes on, he talks about service, and then he talks about behaving like a Christian. And this is what it's all about this morning. It's in verse 9. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. Are you showing God an act of service? Are you showing the stranger an act of service? Or are you showing a lack of service? Well, thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the message. I hope you understood the message. If you are a Christian and you are part of the body of Christ, I hope you understand that a lack of service can indeed be a hate language. I hope you'll agree with me from this day forward to sacrifice your pride, to sacrifice your time, to sacrifice your prejudices, and sacrifice your wants. Jesus gave it all for you, and you should give it all for somebody else. I hope you enjoy, and I hope you have a great week. Thank you.